This is the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast for Thursday, January 22nd. I'm your host, RJ Bell, and we're broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Each week, we talk about upcoming games and teach you how to handicap any game. I'm joined by Marco D'Angelo, bringing 29 years of handicapping expertise to the table, and Vegas Runner, a genuine Las Vegas professional better who lives on his winnings. And we have a very special guest this week in the podcast, Stephen Nover. Stephen Nover is a journalist, a handicapper, and has spent many, many years in Las Vegas and is truly one of the insiders in this town. So Stephen, let's start off with you. Just wanted to introduce you and why don't you take 60 seconds and tell the audience a little bit about your background. Well, uh, I have a journalism background. I graduated from the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh way back in 1977 with a double major in radio, TV, and journalism. And I worked for newspapers for about 20 years. I, I came to Las Vegas to work for the Las Vegas Review Journal in 1984, and soon was one of my uh, many beats there was sports gaming. And so I got to indoctrinated into the industry, got to meet a lot of the bookmakers and the bettors and the odds makers. And then uh, when I left the Review Journal in 1997, uh, since then I've been uh, concentrating on mainly handicapping and doing some writing, uh, freelancing for uh, websites and, and publications. And I'm proud to say I'm uh, extending that to, to pregame.com and I uh, appreciate RJ you giving me the chance to hook up with you guys. Well, we're excited about it. You know, Stephen's going to be blogging, and I, some of his blogs are already up. And I got to tell you, great feel, great insight into the town here. And in the near future, he's going to be podcasting where he's going to be the host, talking to some of the big names he knows in and outside the business. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, and I tell you, one thing to think about is, you know, we have this with Vegas Runner too, is these guys, longtime Vegas guys, and, you know, to some degree that's the case with me, you meet these pros. These are, this is like uh, if you're a poet, you want to be in Greenwich Village, or if you're a professional batter, you want to be in Las Vegas. You meet the very best. You learn from them. You get a call. I mean, Stephen, I'm, I'm guessing you get calls all the time from your you know, some of your real connections in town saying, I'm hot on this, I'm hot on this. And not that you follow that, but when you add all that information together, it helps you with your performance. Well, when you have the opportunity to, to have access to a lot of sharp people, it, it, I think it behooves you to listen to them. Uh, you may not agree, uh, but at least uh, it may get you off a game, and sometimes it could get you on a game. But we all, I think, independently handicap, but it, it never hurts to hear a, a sharp opinion. And that's one of the things that we try to replicate at pregame.com, especially in the forums. And remember, you can go to the homepage and click forums, or you can just go directly at pregameforums.com, is we replicate that sense of community. Here in town, there might be 10 guys that get together to have a handicapping session at some diner. Well, at pregame, you, know, you can be wherever you're located and be talking to some of the very best handicappers, and that sense of community and collective IQ can be very powerful. So we're excited to have Steven. He's going to sit in for the whole podcast. So it should be good contributions. Okay, so clearly the big story this week is the Super Bowl coming up next Sunday. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday. So in segment two, we'll be talking about the game. In segment one, we're going to be talking about money. Because remember, what makes us different than the average talk radio, and I love Mike and Mike and those guys, 
But the fact is, they're talking about water cooler sports talk. What's interesting? Well, that's fun, but we're talking about how to make money. I'm excited. I'm dropping my pen. How to make money. And I just did a blog post this week on college basketball that I believe it is the easiest sport to beat. It's not easy, but it's the easiest sport to beat. So we're going to be talking about that in segment one. And in segment three, we're going to be answering a question about how to bet college basketball in NBA. So let's start off and let's go to Marco. Marco, why is college basketball the best profit opportunity? Well, one of the things that I like about um, college basketball is you've got a diversity of teams. There's so many teams in college basketball that the lines maker can't have a handle on every single team. So you get these small conferences, uh, the Mid-American Conferences, the Horizon, uh, where you can find spots where you may have an edge that the bookmaker doesn't. I also like I'm a big handicapper where I look at um, revenge situations and I'm not a guy that every revenge game is a money maker but there are certain situations in college basketball that I love to look for in the second meetings. Um, I'll give you one quick situation is when you have a big home favorite playing at home in the first meeting and they may have just been coming off a big game the night the game before or a big game coming up next they might have a uh, non you know dominant performance and only win by three or four laying double digits I like to search those teams out in the second meeting when they're a small favorite on the road the average better is gonna look and say oh look at this they were a 10-point dog on the road and they only lost by two or three now they're a small home dog this is a great situation to take the home dog in revenge. Well, this is a situation that you don't go with revenge because that dominant favorite was not focused in the first meeting. Now in the second meeting, they are, and you're getting them at a very short number on the road, and I found that to be a great situational play. And that touches on one of the reoccurring themes with the at pregame.com in general, which is that it's public perception. And Marco's saying in, in that specific situation, the public perception is, hey, this underdog in the first meeting is better than we thought. Well, Marco's saying maybe so, but even more importantly, that team's going to be focused in the second um, game, and there's going to be a short price. Very interesting. So, Vegas Runner, what's your thinking on college basketball? For myself, it's no secret. I'm a volume player. So, for me to have success, I need big boards. Uh, the more games that I could handicap, the more potential there is for me to grind out a profit um, because of the way that I, that I wager. Um, I love college basketball. I think uh, having the opportunity to have that many marquee games on a nightly basis, number one. Uh, number two, as a handicapper, it's a little easier to handicap when you know you're, the team that you're breaking down is going to bring their A game. Uh, you know, every game is important for these guys, especially when it gets into conference play. So you think in college basketball, motivation is, is huge. Absolutely. Okay, so but let's think about that a second. Is if everyone's motivated every game, then motivation is not a real factor, right? You're saying true, that, true, true. So you're saying in the NBA, one of the hardest things to figure out is what team's going to play tonight. You know, the Lakers are a prime example. When they play hard, they're a very different team when they don't. You're saying in a vast majority of college basketball games. These teams are all, are fully motivated. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, you, once it gets into conference play, too, like Marco said, you get to see them play each other twice. You have a lot more data for myself to work with because, I'm you know, I'm a numbers guy. That's how I like to handicap games. So, for me, I mean, there's just so much data to collect on college basketball and uh, the opportunity to bet night in and night out. And for them only to have 
a eight hour, 10 hour window to adjust their power ratings, to throw in for public perception. I think that gives you know someone willing to put in the work. It gives you an edge if if you you know have so when the time you talk put into it. When you talk about the window, are you talking about the window from the opening number to game time? From when they have to create a number to post up. Okay, so you're saying from the last game to the initial post that the they don't have the lines makers don't have as much time like a week or whatever. So but exactly how that... that's why you see in college basketball you notice even now they're they're so hesitant. College basketball totals, they might not put them up until three hours before game time because they know that, you know, the opportunity is there, you know, the... the so are they looking for more time to handicap their line or are they looking for less time for the public to be beating them up? I don't even think it's the public. I think they're more focused about that most... It's the sport, like you said, that most professional bettors exploit. That you see, you see the more money bet, I believe, on college basketball than most of the other sports because they're, you're betting sides and you're betting totals. And so when you say more money, I think what, what what might be more accurate, I mean, clearly the NFL has the most Takes action. the big, most action, but, yeah, and from public, though. But that's the ratio, not, that's the key. The ratio of public money to professional money, there's more professional money in college basketball, you'd say. Than absolutely, anything. absolutely. And, and now, though, after the Super Bowl, you're going to see a whole influx of those more recreational-type bettors come into college basketball. And that's when I think people like us will have even more of an edge because they have to factor in for the public perception. Excuse oh, wait, this might, who is this calling <laughs> VR? So I, I believe that, you know, that's huge. Well, he is Vegas runner, right? Yeah, well, that's, that's got to be steam. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you don't want to answer for that's that okay. speaker phone right. for us? <laughs> okay, so Stephen, a lot of subjects brought up here. I'd like you just to hit on two or three that you find most interesting um, about what was discussed. All right, they're, they're persistent. We got it? We're good. Well, I, I'm in agreement with what both Marco and Vegas Runner says. Uh, Marco's got some definite angles and that have been successful for him for years. And Vegas Runner brings up a good point uh, about... Uh, the lines really are, are set for the sharps. I mean, who's the public going to play with college basketball? The, the marquee TV games, the marquee conferences. But let's uh, you know, let's focus on some of these uh, conferences like the Missouri Valley, you know, which is a very good conference, and Horizon League, and some of these uh, mid-major type of conferences. Can you beat the Can you beat the the numbers that are put out there? I, I think you can in college basketball. I think those numbers are. Uh, are softer than, than, than pro football. Uh, they're tougher than they, they, they were in the beginning in November and December. That's the easiest time to beat them. Now we're into conference. It's tougher. The numbers are sharper. However, I know a lot of the odds makers in town for a, a brief while, I worked as an odds maker for Las Vegas sports consultants. I know their MO. They put out these college numbers. They make their numbers. I shouldn't say they put them out. They make them a day in advance. They have to. There's just too many games. They have to have some kind of number. The number's generic. They're somewhat influenced by the gold sheet. So when you say generic and, and, and you say gold sheet as in power rankings, power where they're ratings. pretty much doing simple math. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Right, RJ. It's, it's power ratings-wise. Strictly. Strictly power ratings-wise. Yeah. Um, now, are they taking into consideration a team maybe playing a, a second game on the road in five days? Sure they are. Are they talking about streaks and stats? Yes, but it's all incorporated into the number. Are they taking in a key injury? Yes, but if some guy's questionable, maybe that's a little up in the air. The latest, 
you can beat this by getting the latest information, uh, not necessarily with the, the newspaper on the Internet from that hometown. Yes, that's a good source, but also the college papers, some of the suburban papers, and even something like the pregame forum, RJ, where if you have the sharp posters talking about their teams in their areas. Uh, again, let's go back to the Missouri Valley. We're talking Midwest there. Uh, somebody from Peoria, Illinois says, look, I, I really know Bradley. They're going to be up for this game. Marco, your revenge angle, that could factor into there. They've had good practices. This guy's definitely not going to play when maybe he's questionable. These are all things where you have so many choices in college basketball that you can pick and choose your spots and come in with, with winners. And I think nothing supports that any more than the line moves that we see in college basketball. I mean, there's some of the biggest you'll see out of any other sport and this late into the season, like Steve said, I mean, we're already into conference play. Some of these teams have even met for a second time already. And here we are seeing numbers moving three, four, five points. College totals moving six, seven points even this late in the season. So that tells you the odds makers' numbers aren't that sharp. They can't be that on point for and them to have to maneuver like that. I think, Vegas Runner, you read my uh, blog this week. And I, but Everyone. One, ah, well, good. One of the things we talk about is how can we not just anecdotally, not just observationally say, oh, college basketball seems easier, I had a good year, I, it must be easy. How can we, in a more metrics-driven way, determine that college basketball is the softest sport? And here's two of the reasons for me. One is limits. There's a simple equation. The more money a book is willing to take on a side or a total, the more that they trust their number. If you wanted this Super Bowl number right now is seven. I've heard this is six and a half. They like that number. If they didn't, they wouldn't let you bet a million. I mean, literally, there's people that bet a million into into it. it. But literally, the lowest... And again, different books have different limits, but the lowest limits almost always are going to be in college basketball, especially college basketball sides are the lowest sides. College basketball totals are the lowest totals. Yeah, forget about it. For some guys, it isn't even worth it anymore, especially like in towns where they won't even take. Yeah. I mean, I remember the Stardust, even towards the end when it was closing, wouldn't take more than $300 on a total when I would bet it, even in NBA or college especially. I mean, college totals $300. Now, what was Moving the po- a point and a half and then be willing to take 300 more. Now, what was the posted limit then? And did you have the same limit, or did they put special limits on you? No, I think they would only take 335 for me on a, a total, and I, they might extend it to a guy playing, you know, Baccarat. They might give him a dime on it, but I don't think they'd give him you much more than that. I really don't. Okay, so... One, let's think about this. Theoretically, the book has a 4.5% hold, which is higher than blackjack if you play perfect strategy, higher in roulette, or right around the same as roulette, most roulette, higher than craps. I mean, certainly higher than a poker rake, typically over the course of time, especially if you're playing you know, higher limits. And they're saying, no, thank you. I mean, can you imagine them saying that, that a blackjack player wants to play a $10,000 hand? They're going to be like, bring it on. But in college basketball, they're saying, no, thank you. Yeah, that should you, tell us something. You have that much of a perceived edge, or their edge or is the that sharps, minimal. Yeah, the sharps do. Exactly, that, that they're not willing to book whatever you're willing to lay, which as a, as a bookmaker, that's your you know your claim to fame is I'm willing to book whatever you're willing to lay. That's how you yeah, make from your the, money. From the bookmaker's perspective, I don't think they fear maybe 80% of the people with totals, but the, the really sharp people, they know they can beat them in yeah, totals. And, and the thing is, I'm who's going to bet into Georgia State Townsend. They're not going to get someone else to yeah. offset that. 
There's not and a lot of public action. No, not a total. and if they're wrong on that total, I'm going to hammer them until they move it enough to get it right. And that's where, you know, they realized it's not worth being that, you know, having that much liability for each and every game. I mean, you see even these ESPN games, these games that they're supposed to be taking double action. Absolutely not. Not on totals they won't. Maybe on the side, but... They don't want anything to do with. Um, when you say double, when you, when you say double action, what do you mean? Where where they'll take a, a a dime a game if it's an ESPN game, a marquee game, they'll take two thousand on the game. Oh, so what you're saying is they have let's say set limits on sides, but they'll designate certain games as double action because they're getting more public money on that game. Yeah, and it's more of a marquee game. Exactly. They they know they'll have a better chance of balancing out their books and and making that commission than they will a smaller game. Okay, now, let's talk about what you touched on, Vegas Reiner, is you talked about the big line moves. Now, let's think about what a line move represents. The odds maker puts out a line, but really that's not true. In fact, we'll be talking about that in segment two about the Super Bowl line. It was very interesting this year that it was put out at six and a half, but most people actually hung it, as they say, at seven, meaning you couldn't bet that six and a half number. It was theoretical, but we'll be talking about that in segment two. Um, there were a spot or two that had the six and a half, but we'll get into that. But what we're saying is the odds maker will suggest a number, all right? Send it out is what they call it. But then the books receive it and they decide to put that exact number up or oftentimes we'll tweak it a half point or whatever. But there's a first line that they're willing to take money on. The fact that that line moves, like in the NFL, it's very rare for that line to move even three points. That's, that's got to be an injury impact. Or a huge weather impact in the total. In the total, perhaps. But aside, you're going to see... It has to be an injury or something very huge that that impacts the game to see an NFL game go from a four to a seven. Because, for example, what they're saying there is the public is saying, hey, odds maker, we disagree with you so much, and we're going to bet it from four to four and a half to five, all the way to seven. That hardly ever happens. I mean, a few times a year. But in college basketball, literally on a daily basis, it's moving three, and you'll see games moving more than that, and you'll see totals moving six, seven points. And that's saying the marketplace is saying, oddsmaker, you mispriced this bet. You mispriced this financial opportunity, and we're going to keep pounding it till you price it correctly. And the fact that the lines move so much is a sign that the bookmakers trust the betters more than they trust the odds maker. Because think about it. If you're very sure on your line, Pinnacle was famous for this. Pinnacle would put up a line. They'd get killed on one side and wouldn't move their line. They'd be a point. Now, that's changed. Pinnacle's not as sharp as they used to be. But they might put out, let's say, a three, okay? Laying three on the favor. And everyone else is at four. Well, they're taking all favorite money at three. Because think about it. If you can lay three at Pinnacle, you're going to lay three, not lay four somewhere else. But they so liked that game. They were so sure of their number, they were willing to take as much action as possible at that number. A lines maker moving his number is saying, we don't trust that first number, right? Because they don't really care. That's the old misunderstanding. Stephen, you I, don't know. I, I don't know if I would completely agree with that, RJ. They have to balance the action, or at least theoretically try to balance the action. See, I think that's old, I think that's old school thinking. So I'll let you, maybe we can have a kind of he said, he said here. Okay, well, but you're saying they don't necessarily trust the, the number. That's why they're moving. But if they're getting... So one-sided, I mean, they're not in the business really to gamble. They're in the, the business to kind of arbitrage to try to get a profit here. See, to a point, but I have to disagree a little bit there. I, I worked in different bookmaking offices. I've answered phones for the first half of my life. That's all I did was answer phones. And I don't know any bookmaker that I worked for that was big-time bookmaker 
that wanted to balance out his work. They wanted volume. Give me all the work he could take. Action is losing action. He knows he has an edge, a perceived edge over the long run. Unless the line's wrong. No book is in the business. Their profit isn't generated from balancing their books. It's not going to happen. It's just, I mean, in a perfect world, that's the case. Well, let me jump in and then let's let Stephen have his full say. And, and I think one thing to think about with Stephen is a Vegas perspective is different than a local perspective. Which is where I'm coming from, is a Vegas right, perspective. Right. In an, yes. off, exactly. in an yeah. offshore perspective. So let's let Stephen finish from the Vegas perspective and then we'll, go, we'll talk about it. Well, some of the, the offshores, uh, the, the bigger places, and we, we know which they are, the, these guys, these bookmakers, uh, we know who they are. We know they love to gamble. Yeah. And we know they have good opinions. Vegas bookmakers, different situation. This is You're a right. corporate environment. If they That's are right. going right. to get stubborn on... Steve was, is in the mix when it comes yeah. to Vegas books. This guy knows. Now, you know, know Vegas mean. Runner. If they're stubborn on a number and they happen to be on the wrong side, they're going to get called up to their corporate boss and they're going to say, why do we have a negative He's side? so right. When our... Uh, Hold is four and a half percent, and we're on the negative. You're uh, out of a job. I apologize, and you he's know, right. I was absolutely. talking about bookmakers, and guys that had you know steel. Yeah, that's a parallel steel. universe. Yeah, that's a whole yeah, I'm talking. You're, you're absolutely yeah. right. You're and, absolutely and he's right, right because that's one of the things. Like Jimmy Vaccaro, famous guy that used to run the Mirage. He's still in the business. He laments the fact often that that no one wants to take a chance. You yeah, know, they, these they, corporate they fear guys. For their jobs. They, they literally want a profit every day. You're but right. let's talk. Let's talk long-term profit just for one minute. And this is a great conversation. Is let's say for the sake of argument, God told you that the line on a game should be pick 'em. That God told you. You know that number's <laughs> right. Okay. Now let's say that everyone else in the world had that number at minus three. So what team A was favored by three. Wouldn't you be smart to take to hang pick 'em to put pick 'em up because you would get a ton of action on the, the whoever was laying the three, you they would be laying pick, pick them, them you sure. know? and you'd get a ton of action, and half the time you would win, and half the time you would lose, because if pick them is the right line, half the time it would win, and half the time it would lose, but you'd get a ton of action, because you had an offline, is what they call it, so Pinnacle used to thrive on saying, we're going to set a line about a point off, take a ton of action on one side, and we're going to be like a batter here, we want all that action, but instead of laying 11 to 10, we're laying 10 to win 11. And all they got to do is win half the time. And the fact that not only is Vegas moving these college lines with the corporate mentality that Stephen talks about, but the offshore places are moving four or five points, which tells you even the guys that are willing to take a bet don't want to take a bet because they don't trust the number. Yeah, and at least not from people that win. Yeah, they don't want winning action, is what it well, is. Well, in Vegas, a place tried that, Sport of Kings. They went out of business. And what year was this? This was probably, I think, back in the late 80s or something. Their attitude was different than every other Las Vegas bookmaker. They're doing what you said. We're going to take opinions, beat us, and the Sharps beat them. Right, Bookmakers right, right. cannot beat the Sharps. You're the right. Sharps will win every time. You're right, Tom. Tom Sunset tried that yes, out here. Yes, to a smaller degree. Yes, yeah, they're out yeah. of business. You're right. They're yeah. out of business. He's right. He's right. But here's what's interesting, though. One, clearly, those guys, Pinnacle, back in the day, would do it. Olympic these days, you know, takes a position. So there's a handful of guys maybe that are the sharpest of the sharp on the book. Clearly, if you're a sharp, you'd rather be taking the action than laying the action. So there's a clearly a different sides. But here's what I know to this. The NFL... The lines don't move all that much. They're moving big time here. So the Sharps can't beat up those NFL lines. And nor do you see the syndicates 
heavy on in every NFL game or in six different NFL games. You'll see them heavy on a total when they know weather is going to be a factor or an injury they'll get down because they think they have an edge in the number until it finally gets adjusted. But you don't see them getting in on seven, eight, nine different positions on a Sunday of NFL as they will willing to take eight, nine positions on a regular Monday, uh, Monday evening of college basketball. No That's doubt. the difference. No doubt. Now, actually, the uh, – I'm sorry, Marco. Jump in. Um, there was a, a, a different angle here. Everything you guys were talking, handicapping and numbers, there was a blog this week, and you can check it out at uh, Pregame Blogs, uh, by one of our cappers, Stan Sharp. And he brought out a very interesting point. Uh, it's something I agree with also. Now, this wouldn't apply to you, Vegas runner, because you're a high-volume guy all the time. But basketball presents a situation that makes an average better – a bigger better because in football you have two days to wager you look all week for Saturday and Sunday but most people's bankrolls can only handle a certain number of games to put into action where in the basketball season you're taking shots seven days a week so a sharp better even taking you know only betting you know one two or three games a day is gonna have a lot more volume and if he's a winning capper that's more edges in his favor that his money's going to be returning or an So you're investment. saying not only is there more games on a given day, you're saying there's more days with games. Right. You're not overexposing your bankroll. You're doing it in seven-day increments, but you're actually getting more action into Even play. Even a smaller volume guy that's putting in three pieces a day is going to have 20 games a week where you're not going to bet 20 games on an NFL on a Saturday right. and Sunday you're not, football. You're not overexposing your bank. Yeah, very very few people are going to put 20 bets in of their bankroll in the play except you. on a weekend. Yeah, except <laughs> on an average afternoon I'll put 20 uh, games in. But. All right, we'll leave it to Steven though. He's taking this to a nice high-level conversation. I hope you guys yeah, enjoy this. So I'm going to say one closing comment, and then we're going to be uh, stopping segment one. We'll be going straight into segment two. Segment two, again, is going to be Super Bowl talk a week before the game here or, or more than a week before the game. But last thought, I think we all agree, a lot of opportunity with college basketball. This conversation is raging in the forums. Everyone's talking about the opportunities off the blog and that I posted. So a lot of good conversation. But keep in mind is that one of the key points that was said here was you can specialize in an area. Missouri Valley, as Steven said, we all know guys that specialize online uh, in the forums. Marco doesn't specialize, but he's an expert in Pittsburgh area schools, um, you know, after uh, 46 years in town there. And the beauty is all those specialists are coming together in one place and either you can get their st some of their stuff for free and some of it for sale, but a lot of opportunity. I mean, really think about it. And, and, and I'm going a little longer than I wanted to here, but one of my dreams growing up in Ohio was I said, you know what would be great? is if I just handled Ohio and I knew 10 or 12 schools in that area and this guy handled New York and this guy handled this area. If you had 10 or 12 guys, each one only focusing on 10 or 12 schools, they would know the ins and outs of those schools. And if you all were betting each other's stuff, you, you know, that'd be a true syndication or syndicate of expertise. If you only focused on 12 schools, and imagine if you did it full time, not just after work. Well, in a way, that's what we replicate in the forums. Absolutely. And that's super exciting. So we're going to be going on to segment two, which is Super Bowl 43 Talk. This is RJ Bell, a founder of Pregame.com, here to tell you about our free $25 offer for new members. 
That's right, join pregame.com for free and you get $25 to spend any way you want. No purchase or obligation required. For $25, you can get just about any best bet you want. This is a no-lose deal. Sign up takes less than 60 seconds. Visit pregame.com backslash join. That's pregame.com backslash J-O-I-N and get your free $25 before it's too late. And we're back. This is the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast for January 22nd. That's a Thursday. This is segment two. Segment two, this is where we usually focus on the game of the week. Now, one thing, or two games a week, typically. Now, one thing we're going to be doing is the podcast will continue. Next week will be normal. It's going to be a, a big-time Super Bowl preview. But then after that, we're going to be doing podcasts every Thursday instead of Wednesday. Every Thursday, which is like this week is Thursday. And the rationale being we'll be able to look ahead to Saturday college basketball, and most of the teams will have played their, their last game. The Pac-10 is the only teams that play Thursday, Saturday, typically. So they're the main teams. So we'll have some good looks at college basketball, and we'll give you guys Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning to listen into the podcast. All right, so Super Bowl 43. I know we're excited here in the pregame offices. I'm a huge Steeler fan myself. Marco, huge Steeler fan, 46 years in Pittsburgh. Marco, why don't you tell us a little bit, one, how you felt real quick, and two, your first thoughts on the game. Well, um, first off, I'm happy the Steelers are in the Super Bowl, obviously, and I'm even more happy that Troy bailed me out uh, with the interception run back for the touchdown because that was my uh, playoff game playoff game of the year but it was a situation that game never should have got that close um, the Steelers totally dominated the game and as I thought the game would go and it was it was my analysis neither team would be able to run the ball and that would put the game and both teams have great defenses so it would leave the game in the hands of the two quarterbacks and even up Flacco versus you know Big Ben, that to me was going to be the difference of the game, and it, it turned out to be as Flacco had you know three interceptions, and thank God for Troy for the last one. Well, I think you're absolutely right that watching that game, I mean, one Pittsburgh special teams still weak spot. The punting is horrible. Two, I mean, literally one of the things the Steelers have impressed me the most this year is their ability to hold a team to a field goal when in the red zone, especially after a turnover or something. And the fact that Pittsburgh gave up two touchdowns on you know pretty much on pass interference penalties, then there were punch ins. That was an aberration. Clearly, the Steelers had the three at the end of the half. A lot of opportunity for Pittsburgh to do better in that game. I find it very interesting. Typically, and that's the beauty of it. If sports betting was easy, everyone would do it, and no one would take the bets. Because if you're able to beat them time and time again, who's going to take the bets? It's easy to say, oh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, two good defenses, take the points. Six is almost a touchdown. But Marco looked beyond that, and that's that Pittsburgh specialty of his, by saying, listen, we got two teams. They both are going to have to throw. One guy can't throw, no matter what the press is saying. And we were talking about that. I was talking about it with a fist pound last week. Is Flacco was just not a great quarterback, as much as everyone wanted to make him into one. And we saw that. And there could have been a few more picks in that game. So great pick and, and a continuation, Marco, of your amazing Pittsburgh run. You're, you're killing the uh, Pitt Panthers too, right? Saturday we had a big play on Louisville that uh, gave Pitt their first loss of the season. I came right back on Monday night with Pitt at home on ESPN, and they drilled Syracuse. So yeah, they I'm, I'm in the zone for Pittsburgh, that's for sure. 
All right, that's awesome. And I'm playing every game. So I love it. All right, Stephen, uh, we have a special guest, as you guys heard in the first segment, Stephen Nover, a Las Vegas journalist, a sports betting journalist. What's your thoughts, just broad thoughts on the Super Bowl so far? Well, let's go back, say, 1980, roughly the last 30 years. The three greatest defenses of all time since then. You'd have to say the, the Ravens of 2000, the Bears of 85, and the Steelers this year. Uh, you're talking about a team... Number one against the pass, number one in scoring defense, allowing less than 14 points a game, number one in total defense, number two in rush defense, I think number two in sacks. Uh, now, put, put the Cardinals against that. Uh, do they have a running game? No. they have a passing game? Yeah, it, it's pretty good, but would you rather have that passing game or maybe the first, second, or third greatest defense in the last 30 years? I mean, that, that's a pretty strong plus in Pittsburgh's favor. Against the Cardinal defense, let me tell you about the Cardinal defense. They, they ranked 28th in total defense. You know how many touchdown passes they gave up during the regular season? 36. Wow. No one came even that close. I think the next closest was maybe New England with about 31. Just I don't know, some, Somewhere around that off the top of my head. But Arizona gave up 36 touchdown passes. And I think Pittsburgh's offense is very underrated. They've gone against extremely tough defenses. So... Um, I think these are all major pluses here for Pittsburgh. I, I th that's good feedback. We love historical perspective. That's that's really insightful, and I, and I agree. I would I would say in week six, I called a buddy of mine right after one of the Pittsburgh games and said it might have been uh, one of the, when they were on Monday night a few times. Might have been against the Redskins. I said this looks like one of the best defenses I've ever seen, and it's it's borne out statistically for sure. Um, Vegas Runner, what's your first broad thought? Uh, I was happy for Pittsburgh to get there. Obviously, I have Pittsburgh to win the Super Bowl. I have them, to, you know, on a future bet to win the whole thing. So the regular podcast listeners know you gave it out here. You gave it gave out, it out here. Gave it out in the form. I put a, a made a nice blog where I gave out Pittsburgh in the AFC to uh, represent the AFC at. 13 to 1 for a unit and a half. Back then, so, did you realize how good this Pittsburgh defense would be? I, I honestly, I, I that's what I looked at for the future in, in football. I was looking for a team that I know has defense and can run the ball because that's always been the recipe to win in the postseason. And I knew Pittsburgh had the most difficult schedule, and the time that I bet them, they were playing above par. For that tough of a schedule. Now, what odds did you get? 13, uh, 13 to 1. That, I got 15 to 1, but it was uh, average on the market was around 13 That's to why one. that was a very ballsy pick, Vegas runner, to, to take Pittsburgh uh, to win the Super Bowl. And I really tip my hat to you because we all knew going into the season, they had the toughest schedule. Did Arizona have a tough yeah. schedule? No. They had, they're, out of all the, <laughs> what division were they in? Yeah, they had like the 26th. You know, out of the four teams left in the playoff, they had the easiest road. And I, I wasn't surprised at the line. Um, word was that if the Steelers, if as much as the Steelers dominated Baltimore, if it was reflected in the score, I think we'd be seeing a higher number. All right, so let's talk about that because in now one thing, and I was going to jump in is the blogs is one of the great um, elements of pregame.com. We're adding bloggers every day. You can go pregame.com and click blogs, or d go directly pregameblogs.com. Steven's been blogging, and I've been blogging, and we got uh, many bloggers right now. Is one of the things that I found interesting in the forums was someone did a post, can't remember who, and said, 
does that does it surprise anyone that this line is so low that you know opening up let's say at seven? Now I thought I read and Stephen, you keep close tabs on Vegas talk. Did I hear Jay Cornegay, the Hilton uh, head, say he thought this line would come out at ten or ten and a half? Did you read that? No, no, no. I, I talked to Jay about that and I asked him if he thought it would get to seven in it. Seven and a half, and he he you know he didn't think so. No, but so. but I thought I, I thought what I read, and maybe I was mistaken, is he before he saw the number, he was thinking it was going to be a little bigger. Um, I'm not aware of that, okay. RJ. So so okay, no, and maybe I misread that. So and I thought Stephen would know for sure, but it seems to me there's a lot of people that say, wait a minute, Pittsburgh is 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 perhaps the best team, and Arizona was maybe one of the worst playoff teams. They've won three games. Kudos. Now, is this really, you know, a stat that I came up with, and uh, we've actually, pregame.com's gotten a ton of press this week, and we're pretty excited about it. We were focused uh, or featured on the Jim Rome Show, TV and radio, Mike and Mike twice this week, AOL twice this week, USA Today three times this week in their blogs. So a lot of our stats have uh, really been getting a lot of attention, and you can see those at pregame.com in the blog section. But one of them was, in the last 42 Super Bowls, there's only been 42, this is Super Bowl 43, is there's been 22 teams favored by seven points or more. So more than half the time, there's been a touchdown or greater favor. Right. Now let's think about this. So Pittsburgh's right at seven, maybe even six and a half some spots. So that means that more than half the teams were more dominant over their opponent than Pittsburgh seemingly is over Arizona. Now, doesn't that mean that Arizona's getting a lot of respect? Well, I think what we have to factor in, too, is this is, we all know, the biggest bet sporting event ever, okay? I mean, every year, this is... This is the when, Super Bowl. The, the Super Bowl's the event. biggest, you know, takes the most action. The most public action as well, even more important. I think they're aware that the late bet, the guys that only bet one day, the guys that are only going to bet that Super Bowl, I'd say 70% of them are going to come in on the Arizona side. The underdog story, they'll grab the points, and I believe they'll grab the money line like they do every year. They did with the Giants last year. They'll do it again this year. That's what the public bets. You know, they want to put up their 20 to win 100. Someone that's just going to bet that one game. He wants to cheer a team to win. Points are irrelevant. So I think the books need to take that into consideration. Number two, you're looking at Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is one of the biggest public bet teams. And they even have the highest gross in Super Bowl for Las Vegas against Seattle, 94 million or whatever that they booked. So whether they're going to book that again with this economy, I doubt it. But they're still expecting a big handle with, with Pittsburgh. So I think this seven is right, RJ. I think, you know, you have to give right, respect right to Pittsburgh. To, let me jump in. Right to split the action or right to split the game result, which is two different things. I think right to split the action. I think right where you need enough people that are going to come in on the favor and come in on the dog. And so far, that's where it's been. I heard they, the first hit they took was on plus seven, and they're still not afraid to keep it there. So obviously they've been getting some minus sevens lately. I think they're going to get a pretty balanced book, and they'll need Pittsburgh come Super Bowl Sunday, I, I believe. So definitely on the money line. Okay. Um, two points I'll make. First off, before the line come out, you know, when I set my number in my head, I did have Pittsburgh over the touchdown favorite. But with that said, once the number came out, this line's not going to move from seven. I really don't think that they'll move it off of it in two reasons. One, it is the biggest bet game. Seven is such a dynamic number in football. They're not going to leave themselves overexposed. And one thing that... All right, so let's talk about that. When you say overexposed, what do you mean? Well, if you move the game off of seven and move it 
to seven and a half. Now you've moved it through a critical number. There were some a few people that got down at six and a half. You're going to have a ton of people sitting at the seven, and then you're going to have some money at seven and a half. If the game falls on seven, you got all of that dead money, and then you're only going to have a, a, a you know one side. That's oh, and they be get a, killed during them times. The, Rams, the, the, wor- the the worst one was actually a Pittsburgh game. They all they refer yeah, to it the as Black, Black Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Downs. The so other, that's Super Bowl thirteen. And the game moved a few points, and it fell right in between, so almost everyone won. won exactly. Right. The other thing is a, a growing trend that's happened um, in the last several years. Instead of moving a number, now they move the VIG, and they make you pay a premium to, to buy at that number. So they can almost balance the books without moving the number. And they can do that as long as they only need to move the VIG 20 cents or less because even at worst case, it ends up where they're not losing. But if they move the VIG more, let's say, for example, they make it minus 7, minus 130, you take back 110, now they're exposed. At that. Well, they'd be exposed past 110 because they got 110 laid to start right. with. But there's different ways for them to manipulate the lines as opposed you know, to the I think Marco is 100% right with what he's saying. And the bookmakers and odds makers I've talked to don't anticipate getting off the seven. They don't see it no. going to seven and a half. Again, we have another, uh, we're doing this, uh, I think, what, eight, nine, ten days before the game. But uh, they don't anticipate doing it because probably for the, the reasons that, that Marco just mentioned. Good stuff. Now, in a way, one of the things that we always talk about is what action can you take away from the information we provide you here with the pregame.com podcast so let's define an action item here which is why bet early on any event is because you believe the line's going to move because clearly you have less information if you could bet a minute before the game you have more information than you do a week before the game so you have to have an advantage to bet early because you have a disadvantage inherently which is less information so the only reason to bet early is if you think there's going to be a line move. And we talked about college basketball, tons of line moves. We got some real pros here saying likely we're at seven, which means you might want to be inclined to wait till game day to bet to get all the information if the line's not going to move. Now, that's no guarantee, but that's always the, the in a way you're making a bet by deciding to bet early or bet late. Exactly. I just think if you like the Pittsburgh side, you're not going to get a better number than what it is now. So you're saying if it moves... It's moving to seven and a half. Yeah, they're not going to bring it. I don't think they're going to come down with it because people, they already got, took a lot of work at plus seven. So they sure don't want people laying six or six and a half. So you're saying since they've already gotten good action on the dog right now, they don't want to go if to six anything, and a half. It's gonna, yeah, they'll, they'll move it to seven and a half before they bring it down to six. But I think the consensus here is seven seems pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right, a couple other thoughts here. And remember, next week, and we'll be up on Wednesday next week, we'll have a full podcast on the game. Um, all right, Vegas Runner, you've got the big future bet. Are you hedging this bet? As of right now, absolutely not. But, um, you know, I'm definitely going to bet the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm still working on it. I, I definitely want to go. I'm looking at the total. But I'm looking at the side, too. I mean, just because I have the future, there's still a lot of things I could do, you know, with the first half, second half. Because clearly with the future, it's like a money line bet. Is if Pittsburgh wins, yeah, you exactly. win. Yeah, exactly. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, I could come in on, on Arizona. If I think Arizona has a chance to keep it close or even win the game, absolutely I would come in and bet Arizona. And one of the things we'll be talking about next week is prop betting. 
I actually, as most of you guys know, I rarely sell picks over at pregamepros.com, which is where our premium picks are made available. You can go to pregame.com and click Pro Picks also. Uh, but I always have an annual Super Bowl prop package, and historically it's done very well. I believe there's great opportunity there, and it goes back to the how much money will the book take on it. Books take about 500 on props for a reason. They don't trust those numbers. So you can find some good ones, I believe. All right, one last point, and then we can uh, go on to Section 3 or Segment 3, which is going to be a free pick from everyone, and the question of the week is going to be answered. Um, I find it interesting that things are changing. You know, when Stephen was mentioning in Segment 1 about balancing the books, I said, oh, maybe that's some old-school thinking. Well, I think it is old-school thinking. Unfortunately, Las Vegas is still thinking that way, and, and Stephen was right, and I was right, I think, from my perspective. But the fact of the matter is, is that one of the main old school thinkings I think is wrong is that the sanctity of the lines maker, the idea that these guys are that sharp. And let's be honest for a minute, and let's think about this, is a professional batter, the bat in fact, Steven's here, this is lucky, we would try to probably get him on the phone if he wasn't here, is the average pro batter in town that's a winner, not, not a guy that loses and you know did it for a year or two and quit, but a long-term guy, how much money does that guy make in a year? Uh, for someone that, that you're saying is successful or yes. someone who turns a profit? Let's say one of the top 10 or 20 pros in town. Just betting Vegas. Just, you have to be real specific here, RJ. Well, Just betting Vegas? I would say if you say, all right, identify the 20, no, not identify, but hypothetically you would put the 20 best pro batters in Vegas, in a room, forgetting if they're betting offshore, forgetting if they're betting in Vegas, how much? What's the average income of those guys? Well, I, I think it, it's considerably higher if they're betting, uh, if they're incorporating their offshore wages yeah, too with, yes. with this Vegas. I, I tough question because I, you know, everybody's very I mean, private, I, obviously, I, about that information. But, but I would say plus thousand. Yes, know, yes, as a starting point. Yeah, I, I would say six yeah, figures as yes, a starting yeah. point. Vegas Runner, is that your experience? Absolutely, yeah, because, I mean, you're talking about all year round and, and the amount of money these guys are betting. So, I mean, just think of units that they come out ahead. All right, and you're, there's some guys moving three, four, five hundred thousand bucks. Exactly. All right, how much do you think the, the second or third odds maker at Las Vegas Sports Consultants makes? Oh, exactly, yeah. 40 like, grand, like 60 a, grand. Like a school teacher. Right. Uh, well, so, the thing is, like they say, if, if maybe they, a little more than a Nevada, so Las Vegas <laughs> school teacher, yeah, but, if, if but they, not a whole lot more. If you could beat the number, why are you making the number? You'd be betting. You right. I mean, so let's think about that. Like a it is, is no. these lines makers? They do a great job trying to get publicity and all that. But let's call a spade a spade, as they say. Is these guys are sharp at what they do, but there's a lot of sharper guys out there. That's the ones moving the line. And I find it very interesting that what makes it hard to beat sports now is not the fact that the lines makers are so much sharper than they used to be. It's the fact that the marketplace is so much sharper. If you put a bad number out, it gets moved to the right number quicker than it used yeah. to. I agree. Yeah. That's I why it's, it's so tough being a sports better because you're not necessarily 
competing with the ads maker. You might be better than him. You're competing with your fellow betters. Once that number's right. out there, the market's taking shape. Stephen's and he's absolutely right. That's who you're competing so, against. So the question is, can you read the market? That's one of the things that Vegas Runner, I think, is one of your specialties. You look at the moves, and you know when it's true steam, or you know when maybe it's fake steam. And there's a lot of ways that if you can read, it's almost like a day trader in stocks. Those The best day traders make a lot of money. And I think you can make a lot of money reading the market. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like I said, if these bookmakers, odds makers, I mean, were that confident in their number, they wouldn't have to see their number get moved four, five, six points if their number was stronger than the guy betting into it. That's and, how I think. Absolutely. And to close, I think a perfect example of that was this Steeler game is the line that was put out by the major odds maker in Las Vegas was six and a half. Offshore, almost everywhere was seven. And unless I'm mistaken, there was two places, I think the Palms or one other place that put up six and a half here, and every other place, the MGM, which is one of the biggest one, MGM Mirage, yeah, et cetera, Bellagio, they put out seven. So think about it, seven's the second key number. The biggest move you can have is two and a half to three in football. The second biggest move is six and a half to seven. And the lines maker says six and a half, and the books say, no thank you, we're putting out seven. Proof positive that not only not only are the wise guys sharper than the lines maker, but these books are think they're sharper than the lines maker. Especially well, offshore's numbers are a lot more get get more respect than any Las Vegas number yeah, does. Yeah, you don't see this too often anymore. But in, in the old days, when Vegas was very prominent before the the uh, the internet really became prominent, uh, uh, you had a. I'll give you the example of the Tyson Holyfield fight. And one bookmaker, Las Vegas bookmaker, who no longer is a bookmaker in town, <laughs> put out an opening number. This was a fight at the MGM of 25 to 1 on Tyson. Horrible, horrible number. The other books, though, since that number's already out and being bet, were forced to maybe not put it uh, that much lower. So they're coming in at 20 to 1. Horrible, horrible number. I think it closed 8 to 1 or something. Yeah. And, and it was a huge Holyfield. Everybody had steamed Holyfield. Even a he week was the leading winner. up to the fight, it was still 20 to so 1. So you remember that. Like the right, Stardust. Right. And you had more, everybody putting $10. Because somebody put out a bad number and everybody was yeah. forced to follow. And so that's... You're right. You know, if you, so if, you're, if you feel you're sharp in the NFL and you look at this opening Super Bowl number... Don't necessarily be intimidated. Let's say your number was Pittsburgh 10 or 11. Yeah, don't be intimidated. That's how I... Because somebody put it out and everybody had to follow. More, Steve. I always say that. They don't have some super god-like computer that's better than anybody It's an opinion, else. just like us. Exactly. And then not only is it an opinion, it's opinion from people making much less money than people trying to beat them, or at least the very best trying to beat them. So, all right, so next week we're going to be talking tons of Super Bowl, and we're going to be hearing a lot from Mr. Pittsburgh, Marco D'Angelo. Truly, guys, this guy just, it's almost like he's sitting in on the practices, and uh, I tell you, we don't say, we don't use hype, you know, overhype too often here, but uh, I mean, just to close, Marco, what would you say, are we sitting over 60% with Pittsburgh stuff the last, let's say, 12 months? Yeah, it might, yeah. Be, it might be higher. Yeah, than that. I'd say I, higher than that. I seriously. thought Mark would be doing this show with a Pittsburgh jersey <laughs> and Troy Palamo dreadlocks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's All right, guys, we're going to be back with segment three free picks.